Last week, we began our study of Emmanuel. It was an introductory study, but as with anything in Scripture, introductory doesn't mean at the same time small or unnecessary. No, because what we studied last week is that Emmanuel declares God is with us, and even the first two words are significant, God is. So Christmas answers questions. The birth of Christ proclaims truths to the world. Does God exist is the first question. And the second question is, if God exists, what is he like? Christmas answers both of those questions. God is, God does exist. And if you want to know who God is and what God's like, what are his attributes, his nature, his characteristic, his will, his purpose, his plan for the world and for you, you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus when he is welcoming in the outcast. You look to Jesus when he is forgiving the sinner. You look to Jesus when he is healing the sick. You look to Jesus when he is proclaiming the truth. You look to Jesus when he lives his perfect life. You look to Jesus when he died his sacrificial death. And you look to Jesus when he rose again, defeating death, Satan and sin forever and ever. That is our God. Amen. That's our Jesus. Now, we could say to some level, God is and God is revealed in Jesus, and we know what God's like. But Emmanuel takes it to the next level. This Jesus is altogether wonderful. This Jesus is everything we ever hoped he would be. Emmanuel takes it to the next level and says this Jesus reminds us that not only God is, but God is with us. This is a reminder that God not only exists, but God is merciful. I like how William Barclay put it. He said, Jesus' coming is the final and unanswerable proof that both God exists and God cares. Charles Swindoll put it like this, Emmanuel, God with us, he who resided in heaven, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, willingly descended into our world. He breathed our air, felt our pain, knew our sorrows, and died for our sins. Swindoll says he didn't come to frighten us, but to show us the way to warmth and to safety. Emmanuel declares that God is, and it answers all those questions with an exclamation point. Not only is God in existence, he's with us. Which, if we understand this in its proper context, it speaks to our deepest need, which is reconcil reconciliation with God. And one of the symptoms of that need, one of the fruits of that issue, is this perennial, pervasive problem in our society, and perhaps even in your own life. And that's the issue of loneliness. How is it in today's day and age where we at any time, just with the push of a button, just with the on of a power switch, can be entertained every single waking minute? We have 400 stations. Now we have other 
media outlets like YouTube and Netflix. We have the internet on our phone, social media at our fingertips. We have more concerts and sporting events and entertainment and music and cultural options probably than any other culture has ever had in all of history, and we are just as lonely as we've ever been. Why? Well, that's because you can't fill that void which was meant to be filled with the Creator. You can't fill that void with any created thing. It doesn't matter how many people you're around. It doesn't matter how much distraction you have. It doesn't matter how much entertainment you absorb. The loneliness, the emptiness will not go away. Now, it's always amazing to me when modern-day studies and science catch up to what the Bible has already said. For example, I just read this study, and this was a study done just last year. It's a study done by the health insurance uh, organization Cigna. They partnered with UCLA and with the University of California, and they created a loneliness scale. 20,000 adults were interviewed by this study, and what they found is quite shocking. They found that 54% of respondents said they feel like no one actually knows them, more than half. More than half of our society, no one actually knows them. 56% of people said they surround themselves with people that are not necessarily, I quote, with them. And approximately 40% said they lack companionship and their relationships, quote, aren't meaningful and that they constantly feel, quote, isolated from others. We could have 10,000 friends on Facebook and be the most lonely person we know. You could go to a sporting event, be surrounded by 80,000 cheering fans and never feel more lonely. Sure enough, that's what another study reveals. The Harvard Study of Adult Development, this is a 75-year study. So this isn't just a blip in the 2017-2018 radar. No, they have revealed that loneliness is toxic. I'll read, I'll read the article. Quote, the more isolated people feel, the less happy they are. The more isolated people feel, the less happy they are. And brain function declines as well as physical health. Note that isolation is the objective measure of how large your social network is. Whereas loneliness and subjective perception of how one feels. In other words, you can have many friends and I quote, still be lonely. Isolation, whether from becoming homebound, loss of mobility, absence of transportation, or losing a spouse or partner are all risk factors for loneliness. Hearing, too, can foster isolation, miscommunication, and set the stage for loneliness. As we come to Emmanuel, God with us, so beautiful that the way that the Gospel of John describes Christmas is not with the Magi and not with the shepherd. Matthew and Luke tell the Christmas story from the vantage point of Mary and Joseph from the vantage point of humanity, from the vantage point of Israel. What we see in the Gospel of John is the Christmas story from the vantage point of heaven, that Jesus is God amongst us. What we see, and it's in your sermon outline, in your bulletin if you want to follow along, three 
points and three implications of God being with us in Christ. The first one is God is with us, incarnation. Number two, as we'll get to in a minute, God is with us in mission. And number three, God is with us in new creation. Let's pull up this verse if we could. This is from the beginning of the Gospel of John, talking about what theologians call the incarnation. And the word became flesh. This is John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of, what does it say, church? Grace and truth. So how do we understand this passage? It's very, very significant. It's very, very important. But did you hear the Harvard study? One of the greatest causes of loneliness and isolation is people's lack of hearing. Those that are deaf tend to be the most lonely. Why? They can't hear. It hinders their connection, their interaction, and it leads to more isolation. Have you ever wondered why the Gospel of John describes Jesus as a word? Because there's nothing more comforting in our loneliness and our isolation than to know that God has spoken. The Lagos, the Word of God, significant theological category, both Old Testament and New. And what we see is that God has spoken, and that Word is Jesus Christ. That spoken Word is the final sufficient Word. It's through that Word, Jesus, that God created everything as He spoke it into existence. It's through that Word, Jesus, incarnate, that all of the Word in Scripture is fulfilled. It's through the word made flesh that we know that we're not alone in this darkened and broken world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's truly astounding because if you remember from the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what church was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything has been made that was made. Meaning that everything that there is was made through Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. That means before the first Christmas, Christ always was. This passage is telling us that the word that created the world now resides in the world. The word that was with God is now the word that is with us. And when the Bible says that the word was with God, it doesn't just mean that there was God the Father and God the Son and they were in the opposite parts of the cosmos or something like this. No, oftentimes when the New Testament writers would, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, use that word, was with God, it intimates fellowship and friendship as if to say, Jesus, the word, was with God and face to face with God. Our God has entered into our world. Why? So he could be face to face with us. So he could reveal his countenance. He could reveal his beauty. So he, who was face to face with God, is now face to face with us. But not just face to face, he dwells amongst us. In the Old Testament, 
you've studied the Old Testament, you know that God created a people to worship him. And he would meet with them through this tenting, this tabernacle that they would later become and build into a temple. One time a year, the high priest during Yom Kippur, he would enter into the Holy of Holies after many, many different steps of ceremonial purging and cleaning. He would, with much fear and trembling, enter into this tabernacle where God's presence dwelt on earth. It was an unholy man entering into the holy presence of God. What is Christmas? The opposite. Our holy, holy, holy God entering in to our unholy world. God dwelt amongst us. The book of Hebrews puts it like this. It's powerful. Since therefore, this is Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. Okay? Jesus took on flesh. That through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death. Hallelujah. Therefore, the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, ready, everyone ready for a big religious word? To make propitiation. Let's say it together. Propitiation. Don't we feel even more spiritual? To make propitiation for the sins of God's people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is good news. Emmanuel declares this. Two things. Is that as much as we take Emmanuel, that God is with us, as one of Jesus' names, we also have to take the significance of the first name that was given to him, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus' literal name means the Lord saves. God is with us when we turn to Jesus, and Jesus saves us. He is the propitiation of our sins. He is the sacrificial atonement. He appeased God's right wrath and just judgment. Jesus lived the life that we did not live. He died the death that we deserved, and he rose again victorious, but also vicarious, that anyone who puts their trust in him might know life and life everlasting. Here's what's amazing. The book of Hebrews puts these two things together. Yes, Jesus is our high priest, just in the same way the high priest would go into the tabernacle, into the tent, to offer up a sacrifice, to intercede. Jesus is not only our high priest, Jesus himself is the sacrifice. But here's what's beautiful about Emmanuel. Your Bible just said, and it says it over and over again in other places, God is with us not only when we're at church singing songs in praise of Jesus, God is with us not only when we're serving and loving in Jesus' name. God is with us not only when we feel the Holy Spirit working in and through us. No, God is with us when we're tempted. God is with us when we're doubting. God is with us when we're struggling. Because Jesus, as the Bible says, was made like us in every single way and yet did not 
sin. God is with us in the incarnation. God is also with us on mission. So we're going to turn now from the Gospel of John to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is called the Great Commission. Let's take a look. It's up here on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe all I have commanded you. And behold, what does it say? I am with you, what church? Always. To the end of the age. Remember last week when we studied Matthew chapter 1? The angel visits Joseph and says, Mary is with child, and that child is of the Lord, and that child will proclaim a message to the world. Emmanuel, God is with you. Look, this is not my accident, and this is why your Bible is so amazing. Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, begins with God is with us. How does the Gospel of Matthew end? These are the last words of the Gospel of Matthew in the same way it began. Christmas proclaims that God is with us in his incarnation. Christmas also proclaims that God is with us when we're on mission. Now, here's the truth. All of us are on some kind of mission. You might not think you are, but you are. All of us are following someone or something. All of us are looking for our identity and our security in some source of something. It's just part of our DNA. It's just part of our human design. So this is the scene, and this is the situation. Here is the resurrected Jesus. This is after the cross, after his scourging, after his beating, after his abandonment, after his shame, after he was condemned by the people he came to save, and he died on a wooden Roman torture device that we call the cross. Three days later, that same Jesus is what? Alive. Now, if you ever met someone that said, listen, I'm going to go here to this city, and they're going to kill me. But then don't worry. Three days later, I'll be back. If someone actually did that, did exactly that, would you listen to what he had to say? Yes. Yes, you would. Not only listening, but what are they doing? Worshiping. They're worshiping Jesus, and he, unlike every other prophet or apostle or any other person in the Bible, he accepts their worship because he is the Son of God and God the Son. But I have to think, with the mission that Jesus is laying out in front of the disciples, to go literally change the world and make disciples of all nations, I can't help but think that some of them must have been looking around. It was probably Peter, right? He was probably like, all right, let me just do a head count here, Jesus, right? Okay, so we got one, two, three, four, eight, nine, ten. Eleven of us. There's eleven of us. How are all the nations? Are you sure? You sure you're getting your math right, Jesus? You sure, you sure us? Remember, I mean, like literally like three days ago, we just abandoned you. You know, we just all ran away. You're, you're giving this to, to me and to us? Yeah. 
here's the good news. We're not here today. United States of America, Colts Neck, New Jersey, if it's not for these men and the power of the resurrection working in and through them. We can be pretty pessimistic in today's day and age. We can complain about a lot. We can complain even as Christians about the culture, about academia, Capitol Hill, media. These men now have seen the resurrection of Christ and their excuses and their complaints are nowhere to be found. If 11 men could change the world, think of what 500 could do at Coltsnet Community Church. But here's what I want you to understand as far as Emmanuel, is that God is with us not only in our trials and our temptations, God is with us and he has offered the path of salvation to us through Christ. But listen, God is also with us when we're on mission. Meaning that when this Christmas or at any time when you are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, when you are stepping out in faith and opening up your mouth and letting people know that you belong to him, letting people know that there's hope in him, letting people know that you live for him, letting people know that you can find out more about him in his word. Here's what's powerful about what you just heard. Jesus is with you in that moment. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. And those of us that have stepped out in faith, and we've done that. We've loved the unlovable. We've served those who need to know the gospel. But ultimately, yes, we opened our mouth and we shared the good news. It's not easy. Like evangelism is tough, right? Telling people that are interested in God, telling people that are rebelling against God, that they're loved by God, and if they don't turn to God, they're going to be cut off from God and isolated from God for eternity. It's not an easy message. Oh, but when you do it, what, church? Wow. I didn't even know I could talk like that. I could just sense something alive in that room. There is a special awareness of God's presence when we're on mission with him. I don't know about you, but I grew up uh, listening to a lot of the Beatles. Do we have anybody listen to the Beatles growing up? So as I was studying this passage, thinking about our isolation, our loneliness, and also our mission, I couldn't help but think of Eleanor Rigby. I won't sing it. I sang it for the 830 service. It didn't go well, so I'm just going to read it. You're welcome. You know how the words go. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? And then this song, believe it or not, has a Christian slant to it. Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave, and no one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? This Christmas, we have a message to those two questions. The loneliness is not the primary problem. The primary problem is sin, and the only solution is Jesus Christ. He is the solution not only for your sin problem, but for the person that you work with, the person that you uh, live near, the person that perhaps is even in your biological family. He is the solution. So let's be active. 
So even if Father McKenzie doesn't see anyone saved, by God's grace, we will see many people come to Christ. God is with us on mission. And the last point, briefly, God is with us in new creation. The gospel of Matthew ends with that beautiful promise, God is with us, and so does your whole Bible. Let's look at this passage. This is from Revelation chapter 21, the second to last chapter of your Bible. And this is some of the most powerful, beautiful truths in all the scriptures. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with who? Man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will, what does it say, church? Wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Hallelujah. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Woo! Sorry. But not sorry. This is how your Bible ends. It's the bookend. We saw the bookend of Matthew, but there's a bookend of your whole Bible. We were created and meant for perfect unity and unison with God. He's creator. We're created. We were made for him. That's why nothing else satisfies. That's why nothing else saves. That's why there is no other remedy for our isolation and our loneliness, our rebellion. We are made for God. Listen, church. When we come to the end of the Bible, what do we see? Is that God has restored what was lost at the beginning of the Bible. Part of the reason we're always frustrated. Part of the reason we're always a little disappointed. Part of the reason that we hope that this next thing, this next promotion, this next purchase, this next relationship will be the thing that we're searching for, and it never is, is because we lost our home in paradise, and now, even though we're in this world, we long for God's perfect presence in new heavens and new earth. You want to see something really cool? Christmas foreshadows the new creation. What is Christmas? God coming down and living amongst us. God literally bringing heaven to us. What is the vision of eternity? It's not us floating around as attached ethereal spirits somewhere. No, it's Christmas just even more amazing. God literally brings heaven to earth in the same way that Jesus was bringing heaven to earth. This is the final culmination, the final act, what was lost in the garden, what Jesus began at Christmas, is now consummated, cultivated, and culminated in Christ, creating everything new. He brings heaven to earth. Our eternity is with spiritual bodies. That's what Jesus does. And then here, last point. Even as he's making all the universe new, even as he's righting every wrong, even as he's wiping out pain and overcoming death. Do you see the intimacy here? Even as he is making the entire universe new, he knows you and he's wiping away 
every single tear. That's power, but that's personal intimacy as well. That in the end, church, is our Emmanuel. God is with us in the incarnation Christmas. He's with us when we're on mission. And one day, we will be reunited with him, and he will wipe away every tear. That's good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good, gracious Father, and we thank you for the gift of your Son. This is a season of gift-giving, God. And right now, through your Word, you are giving a gift. But gifts need to be received, Lord. Hands needed to be extend, extended. Hearts need to be opened. Walls need to be broken. Excuses need to stop. And we need to return. Return to the God who is with us in Christmas. But also turn from the sin that keeps us from him. Turn from the sin that continually promises and never delivers. Turn from the sin that continually robs us of our joy. Turn from the sin that lies to us and deceives us and destroys our relationships. Let's be done with it, church. Even as we turn from sin and return to the Father for forgiveness. God, we want to return to you for our mission, for our marching orders. You are the king who's overcome death. We find our hearts home, even if it's not popular, even if it's not easy, in being different as we follow you. In a spirit of prayer, Colstead Community Church, I'm going to invite everyone to please rise. Let's stand together, shall we?